1: It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins
0: Saturday. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, that's N A T I O N three zero for thirty percent off of your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. To the greatest podcast on the internet and there's been votes out there I'll be honest there's been like six votes and I win every single time and most of the time the people who are voting are my mom and my grandma and they don't even they don't really listen to it they just heard that it's really good so um, if you want to give me a badge or a trophy that says world's greatest podcast Uh, I'll accept it because I I am the host of the world's greatest podcast and you are listening to that right now, (laughs) but uh, in all seriousness, today is yet another awesome podcast and we're going to be talking with a guy, his name is Todd Beatty, he is out of Oklahoma and last year was one of those best year ever type moments where he harvested and killed Harvested, killed. I don't know what the term is now these days. He killed two awesome whitetails in Oklahoma, and then he went to South Dakota and slammed a giant mule deer all with his bow. Uh, and I think the big buck that he shot in Oklahoma was like a two-year story. And in this episode, like we do almost in every episode, we break down his hunt, right? We talk about the terrain. We talk about what this buck was doing, how he was moving through the landscape, where he was bedding, where he was eating. Uh, we tell the story of, of how he disappeared for a little bit. He thought maybe a neighbor shot him or, uh, you know, he got hit by a car or something. And then he shows back up. And then he puts the pieces of the puzzle together. And eventually that all leads to him getting shot opportunity at this buck, man. And it's a, uh, it's a really cool episode. And then don't forget the story at the end of the episode where he talks about his spot and stock mule deer hunt, where he had a decoy strapped to the front of his bow. And, uh, I'm really jealous of that because I want to shoot a mule deer so bad I can taste it. Uh, so Uh, I am excited for this episode. I I have a blast recording these episodes because everything's different. I'm not talking to the same guy about the same thing every time. I'm talking to somebody different from a different state who has a different way to hunt, uh, who has, uh, you know, some people, uh, I don't know, guns, bows, whatever. Everybody has a little bit different strategy in, in in the hopes of their stories being able to, I don't know, uh say like spark something in your own head say man oh shit maybe I should try this or maybe I should try that or maybe I should do something different completely outside of my box that is going to allow me to uh, be more successful and uh, it's basically just the sharing of information and uh, that's why I love doing what I do man and I'm, I'm just hashtag blessed to uh, be able to do it so that's what today's podcast is about I want to do a little housekeeping real quick because there's a lot of things going on at the Sportsman's Nation right now that uh, are very interesting and very cool, right? So, if you haven't seen lately, we have a brand new podcast from South Dakota. We have a brand new podcast from Michigan. We have uh, a new Wisconsin-themed podcast Coming very shortly. On top of that, we've had we have the Ohio Huntsman, we have the Missouri Woods and Water podcast, and there and uh, the Iowa Sportsman podcast. So. As the Sportsman's Nation grows, we're going to get more state-specific, right? In, I got some irons in the fire in Kentucky right now. Pennsylvania are two other states that uh, might be coming to the table real soon, so keep an eye out f- uh, for that. And, uh, you know, we got some, uh, even New England, uh, I think, is uh, another, uh, you know, another uh, opportunity there. So there's going to be a lot of niche content that is going to be relatable to where you live, And I know that, um, niche really like a guy in Pennsylvania, he can still listen to a a New York podcast or an Ohio podcast and take away the principles. But that content is really, uh, can really sink in if there's a guy talking about how to hunt deer or how to hunt turkeys or how to fish in the state that you live in specifically in the area of the state that you live in. So, um, that's the goal of the sportsman's nation on top of uh, some other really cool things that we have happening here pretty soon so, so keep an eye out for that or I should say an ear out for that but uh, today's commercial ozonics, ozonics uh hunting.com uh, and I'll tell you this man I'm a I'm now a huge fan of o3 and I'll tell you this o3 ozone uh, it kills bacteria. It kills odor, uh, and it, when you're in the tree, it can distort your scent pro- profile so much that when deer walk downwind of you, they have a hard time recognizing what that smell is. So imagine a scent, you know, like me without ozone, going into a deer's nose, that, and that scent goes into their receptors, it goes into their brain, and the brain goes, warning, warning, something's going to kill you and now you add ozone to that mix it distorts that and now that is sending that odor is sending a different message to the brain and it's not warning it is hey what's that what's going on okay well, or yeah, that's i smell it but it's nothing to be worried about and that is the reaction that I get time and time again with ozone uh, in the tree, and uh, it, the functionality outside of the tree uh, as well is just uh, is really good. So, uh, ozonicshunting.com. Please go check out uh, their units. Uh, They have a dry wash bag and they have a closet now and they got a a unit for, you know, a variety of different price points. And you can get a free dry wash bag when you enter the discount code NFC21, NFC21, and you get a free dry wash bag with purchase of one of their units. So take advantage of that. And next on the uh, commercial list here is Lone Wolf. I, I say this all the time now, it's like a second appendage, right? I feel so confident and comfortable using that. I've been using it for the past like 15 years, uh, roughly. And I, I, it's just, it's without thinking now. Set up, tear down, set up, tear down. And I can walk into the timber with that stand on my back and four sticks, and I can get in any tree I want. I can get in, I can set up as high as I want. I can set up as low as I want. I can get in crooked trees. Uh, I can get in uh, trees with a lot of branches. I can get um, in the right tree. And it's not about getting close. You know, it's like, okay, well, I'm close enough. It's getting, putting yourself in the right position for the right shot. And sometimes that can be f- a five foot difference can can cost you a big deer. I've been there before where you, you, you think you're in the right spot. But you really need you really need to be five yards closer to a certain trail, or into deeper to a pinch point, or, or along some edge where the edge meets maybe a spur ridge coming up, and uh, those are the moments where Lone Wolf really shines. And uh, if you if you if you haven't joined the mobile game yet, and you haven't. Uh, uh, picked up a lone wolf or even like maybe borrowed one from a buddy, you need to go do that. So, uh, lone wolf I think is it lone wolf hunting gear? Let me double check here on the website. I, I mess this up all the time. Uh, lone wolf hunting products. Okay, lone wolf hunting products.com. Go check out their. Uh, assortment of stands and sticks and and other accessories and enter the discount code 9FC21 9FC21 and you will get uh, a discount of $50 off of all purchases $200 or greater and that's like 25% right there Uh, you buy a tree stand for like 250 that's uh, somewhere around the 20% uh, mark at that point so between you're saving between uh, 20 to 25, uh, 18%, depending on, on what you purchase. And to me, that's a win, right? So, uh, lone wolf hunting com. All right, we've done the housekeeping, we've done the commercials, enough bullshit. Let's get into today's uh, best year ever archery podcast with Ty Beatty of Oklahoma. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Ty Beatty. Ty, how we doing, man? Pretty good, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Did I pronounce your last name right? You did, actually. Good, good. Really surprising.
1: It was very People <laughs> <getting> it wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if it was, had some batier or something like that, but hey, man, I'll, no, I'll take what I can get.
1: That, you, you got it right.
0: All right, good deal. Well, uh, you reached out to me uh a while ago, and you're like, hey, let's uh, check this deer out I shot this year. And I tell you what, every time I see that there's a guy from Oklahoma killing a giant, it makes me want to go hunt Oklahoma because it, it almost it almost feels like Iowa. Just just from the social media standpoint, just from the people who I talk to uh, who are out there saying that Oklahoma is just loaded with, uh, like, has a really good deer, deer herd.
1: Well, in my opinion, everybody is starting to do a better job managing. So I do think the deer are for sure getting better. But I I think that it's kind of quiet, but it's probably starting to get out that we're shooting a lot of big deer on here.
0: <laughs> oh, dude, it's out, it's out. I mean, everybody yeah. knows that Oklahoma, what a couple of years ago had the most 200 inch deer killed uh, in the state, you know, of uh, in one year. Uh, even more than Iowa and, and other big buck states like, you know, Illinois and, and whatnot. So uh, the cat is out of the bag on Oklahoma. What's the oh, yeah. What's the private public situation in Oklahoma?
1: Man, there's a lot of public that's really good for shooting big bucks. I think there's a lot of private people that do like doe management hunts or let people come hunt antlerless. But for the most part, I mean everything that I have permission, to hunt either my wife's family owns or I have permission just from going knocking on doors.
0: Gotcha. All right. So you're originally from South Dakota, correct? Yep. Okay. What what part of South Dakota? East West, North South?
1: Uh, west, yeah. I'm from around Rapid City area. Okay.
0: So then you probably know the whole the whole private public situation out there like it uh and this is just based off my very short uh my very um limited experience as a non-resident going in uh, where trying to gain access to private ground was either impossible or you had to pay to get on it yep okay for sure so does oklahoma fall under that category of the west yet where um like it's impossible to get on private ground or do you feel like a a guy could, if he put some boots on the ground and started knocking and looking for permission, he could, he could get some, some public access or some private access.
1: Well, I would say that if you had a chance to get private, like there's a lot, there's a lot of people that lease stuff. So you could lease a place, but more or less the only reason I got in is just because I moved down here and I started getting to know people from the area and yeah. then they realize, you know, I'm not just some random guy and they let me go hunting. But I don't, I don't know about as far as just anybody coming down, <laughs> Yeah. you may have a hard time, you know, letting some people come down that they don't know, you know?
0: Yeah. And I, that's the same with any, any landowner, right? You know, anybody's going to kind of be yeah. a, a little iffy about a new person coming onto their property. But, uh, I guess, you yep. know, as far as, no, you know, I will
1: but, say as far as like shooting pigs and coyotes and stuff like that, lots of people just say, heck yeah, have at it. Yeah. Even if they don't know you, cause I've knocked on a lot of doors. I don't even know people of, and been able to go do stuff like that, but the deer hunting is a little more, people take it a little more serious.
0: Yeah. Well, especially when there's deer, like what you're chasing on, uh, on the farms, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's everywhere, but
0: I I had a good year, so. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about uh, Oklahoma, right? And, and, you know, I've talked to some guys out there who, you know, for the most part are on private um, property, do hunt a a little bit of public. Um, What part of the state do you live in? Uh,
1: Middle western, you know, mostly really close to the western side. Oh, I think uh, Texas is about 30 miles away okay. to the west and then we're kind of right in the middle of the state up and down before you get to the panhandle
0: gotcha and um what's the deer situation there you guys gotta um obviously you have big bucks but is, is there a lot of deer is it average is it uh sparse what's the how many deer are you seeing would you say in a sit?
1: oh i mean if you're in a wheat field or something like that you're for sure gonna see a bunch um a lot i mean i feel like there's a lot of deer around and i mean there's definitely not a lot of deer like the couple good ones that i shot this year but there's tons of really nice you know four by fours that are 130 to 140 inches running around everywhere yeah and i don't know i feel like there's a lot of deer in general
0: okay so so then um are you in an area that has both mule deer and whitetails?
1: Um, one of the properties I have permission on is close to some mule deer. I haven't seen any on there. There is a few mule deer close by on some neighboring, you know, really you know, a few miles away. Yeah. But I don't, I mean, most of the people don't really hunt them that much just because there's not like a big herd of them.
0: Gotcha is the tag that you have for whitetail only or can you shoot a mule deer buck too with that tag
1: I believe I can shoot a mule deer buck too but I've never tried here
0: Yeah yeah how far how far away from you is like is the uh like the the transition really from whitetail being the dominant species to mule deer uh being the dominant species
1: as far as in Oklahoma, yeah, or in, in going Oklahoma. north Co- to other states.
0: Because I know that in west, in the Panhandle, right, in, in western uh, Oklahoma, yeah. there's a there's a good uh, a good amount yeah. of mule deer. But does it is is it ever like in, in western South Dakota, right? There's way more mule deer than there are whitetails. Yeah,
1: generally, and, until you get up in the hills, which there's a lot of muleys in the hills now too, but there's tends to be more whitetails up there i think okay once you get into the hills but so kind of where i hunt up there like it was a really big mixture of both i mean there's half and half almost of whitetails and muleys
0: yeah yeah and maybe it was maybe it was because i was looking for mule deer and that's what yeah. <laughs> i what i found you know when i was out in south dakota but uh yeah um, i just i I'll, you know once you get west of and, and of course i'm not hunting i'm not hunting for white tails in the river bottoms and in the creek systems and in and, and the fields right like uh where yeah. where these white tails live i'm up in the hills chasing chasing mule deers and whatever but mule deer and whatever but yep um i didn't know if there was a, a big transition line or anything hard, or did it just gradually turn into like a whitetail mule deer mix in, in western Oklahoma?
1: Yeah, I would say it kind of gradually mixes. I mean, once you get out in the Panhandle, there's way more muleys, and I feel like a lot less tails. But kind of right where we're at, they're kind of just
0: intermingled. I mean,
1: they're kind of, I don't know, here and there e- either way.
0: Yeah, but... I got gotcha. you. All right, so let's talk about. Let's start talking about um this piece of property where you shot this whitetail this year because uh it's a stud um just just so everybody can kind of reference what um what this buck looks like and how old he was why don't you just kind of describe this buck for us
1: yeah he was he's a really good deer he had super distinct brow tines that one brow tines almost 10 inches long and the other one's like seven and a half or eight or something like that and then he was just a perfect uh really symmetrical five by five basically and i think he was probably five years old four and a half to five and a half i'm not really sure yeah but he he was really nice deer right about 160 so
0: okay yeah that's uh that that uh that one brow tine it being three or four inches longer than the other one. That that's something pretty cool, I think.
1: Yeah, he's really unique. I, I was I had actually saw him the year before, the day after rifle season, and we were just we had just put my house in on this piece of property of my wife's family's and I saw him back there and heck I had a feeder up all year and I never had a mature buck on camera at all. And he was like 200 yards away on the wheat from my camera yeah, and I'd never seen him before. And so I got pretty serious about trying to find him the next year because I knew he was going to be pretty good. Okay. And he made it through rifle season, obviously. So,
0: yeah. What's the, uh, why don't you describe the terrain out there? How many acres you have access to, uh, where maybe where this deer was living?
1: Where this deer was living. Um, there's 40 acres of my wife's land or my wife's family's land that we have our house on. And then there's a chunk, basically the full section. There's a big draw that runs through the middle of it and then kind of fingers off in a couple places. And then there's a lot of wheat all the way around the whole side, the west side, the south side, and kind of right up the middle of it. And the chunk in the middle that has a pretty good piece of the big draw and a wheat field, somebody else hunts. But basically everything else, all the way around it and the whole section, I have permission on if we don't even, it, just even the stuff I don't own. Yeah. But there's there's a really big pond right below south of my house, about 400 yards. And that's kind of the corner of the southwest, southeast side of the section. And basically from there all the way around is where the big draw starts. And that's kind of where he was living at.
0: Okay. So it sounds to me like is it is it uh your typical western type vibe where the the high ground is all ag and cattle pasture and that's where kind of the, the rolling hills are with sporadic yep, exactly. sporadic draws that are kind of more wooded. Yep.
1: Yep, okay. lots of cedar trees and, and quite a few big cottontails and then the one draw that is kinda it's only about 200 yards behind my house. It runs north and south, and it's really thick, and it kind of ties in where the pond and the other draw meets. Gotcha. And so, that's a cover right there.
0: Yeah, so. so is that where a majority of the deer uh, kind of hang out and live? Like, bed down, they come off the tops, and, and they come into the bottoms and or into the draws and, and bed?
1: Yeah, yeah, for the most part. They're really... The weird thing is, and and I don't know if it's because I just moved my house in a year or two ago, but there used to be quite a few more deer here. I feel like, and and maybe there's more on the other side of the section now, but the numbers of deer were actually kind of disheartening. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, I killed a giant deer, but it's like, where the heck are all the rest of them at?
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that when you went and put your uh, put your house? in on this property it it somehow cut off a, a travel pattern
1: um maybe a little bit there's there's definitely a big big uh, bunch of draws that are in the section to the east yeah and there's a bunch of really thick draws in the section to the north and the west and there's wheat all the way around all over the place so they kind of can come from anywhere and I actually had another really big deer on camera that was on like two miles west of my house. And then another guy had him on camera like a half mile east of my house. And so he probably used to come through right where my house is at. But I think now like he kind of goes out and around into the section to the north. And that's where a guy actually found him dead shed hunting this year.
0: Oh, okay. But, All right. So. Yeah, so
1: I, I feel like, yes to answer your question i probably somewhat changed the pattern of them a little bit but a lot of them kind of just roam around from different wheat fields at night anyway looking for hot does during the rut so it's hard to tell really
0: i mean yeah if they're
1: there they're there basically
0: right all right so um are these deer moving a long way throughout the, you know, throughout the day? Um, Or are they pretty much, do they sit tight? And and I know that's a loaded question because in the rut, I know that Western deer move more than, you know, like the deer here in Iowa. So um, like, do the doe groups have, you know, far to travel for food and water or is everything they need kind of right there in that, in those woody draws?
1: Well, What's weird that I've noticed is a lot of times the does like I built a food plot that where I first started hunting in Oklahoma on my wife's land, and I made a big like fifteen acre wheat field, and I really had no deer like it was the perfect pinch point where like ten big draws led down into this bottom. It was super secluded right in the middle of the section. should have been just the perfect place. And I was sitting in the stand one morning and I watched a group of does come at like ten thirty in the morning, fifteen does came by and they walked right past my wheat field and I'm pretty sure they came from a wheat field a mile to the north. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sometimes it's just like if that's where they want to be, they'll just travel. But I think that's part of what happens behind my house is I need to do something better to keep them coming down to where my cameras and stuff are and not staying in the neighbors in the middle because they'll move from a ways and they'll come to the feeder once in a while but they're really not as consistent as I would like if I was gonna keep targeting one you know
0: yeah yeah so are these deer on your property all year round um or are they bouncing? Much. okay all right, so they stick tight yeah. to stick tight to those draws. Yeah, okay. I would
1: say, I mean, they might they might go travel up the draw, you know, across the section, but the draw is still going up the section, even though there's a road going through the middle of it. You know, they're still kind of staying in the same draws and and staying fairly close. Yeah,
0: are there are, are the deer sharing uh, those draws or any of the uh, land with any cattle? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Pretty much everything. A lot of the wheat fields. I think that's part of what gets some of them traveling to different places, even though there might be wheat close by if they have calves on them. A lot of guys will, or a lot of the deer I think might just try to find a wheat field that doesn't have calves on them.
0: Yeah. But Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, you know, that this buck that you ended up shooting this year, um, didn't show up on a, on a feeder, right? Uh, so yeah. let me ask you this. And I know there's different, uh, uh thoughts and views and approaches when it comes to, uh, a feeder, whether you hunt over it or you flank it or, or all these things. But when you have a feeder up, Do you have a trail camera over it, and does does that trail? What does that trail camera show you as far as what deer are in the area?
1: Yeah, I have a trail camera on all my feeders, and I actually set up. I try to spread out all my stuff, so I'll have like six or so feeders going over like a twenty mile area, because I'd take a lot of. My wife has little brothers and stuff that I take hunting, and my family comes out from South Dakota sometimes. So I try to find a lot of decent bucks at least for people to hunt. And so I always have cameras set up on them and I feel like at some point, usually I get a picture of pretty much everything that's around. Yeah. But that's not always the case because with the big deer that I shot this year, I had pictures of him all through the summer in, in velvet. And I mean, he just, showed up as soon as I started putting protein and corn out and I mean he was a stud in July and I was like oh yeah this is going to be awesome I feel like I've learned enough from the nine finger chronicles that <laughs> I can make a plan on him and and I'll be able to get him you know and there was kind of some unconventional stuff that I was going to try to do because I wasn't really sure how to hunt him and I wasn't so sure that they weren't there was a couple of times I went fishing down at my pond and I was bumping deer out of the draw that's just right behind the house. Yeah. And so I was trying to figure out how I was going to get in and out of the stand without spooking him. And, and by the time I figured all that out, he left to go hard horned and he came back for one night of pictures and I only got a good picture of like half of his rack. So I had no idea what he actually looked like without velvet. Yeah, and then he disappeared for like th- three months,
0: and that was and, in that was this past year in 2020. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask yep. you this: you, the before I killed him in 2019, the last time the the first time you ever saw him was in um, uh, was at the end of rifle season, right? Uh, did yep. you? The, yep. So did you try to go after him? Uh, after shotguns or after rifle season was over and maybe try to get him with your bow still that that year or did you just kinda let him you know let well, him actually, go?
1: I, the very day that I saw him <laughs> I was from at my house and he was about four hundred and fifty yards across the draws on wheat field with another way back in the day. Yeah. And I thought he might be rutting enough still that maybe he would play with my decoy that I called you about. And I got this decoy that mounts to my bow to go mule deer hunting with my dad in Nebraska the year before. And so I thought, well, heck, I'll just take my decoy down there and see if I can't sneak up in the draw and get around downwind of them. And I never did end up actually seeing them. I don't know if they just got to rutting and went off in the draw, but I never did get a chance at them. And then about a week and a half later, I was calling coyotes in there when I started calling I saw him jump up about 500 yards away too in the middle of the draw again. Yeah. But on the other side of the section this time. And so I knew he was living right around there, but I kind of just wore out my welcome with my wife about hunting so much. So I kind of <laughs> put it off and said, well, I better just let him go a year. You know, I hadn't really had a great look at him to see how old he was anyway.
0: Yeah. So, so let's, let me ask this question. You, you knew he was, in the area you mean you saw him a couple times you bumped him a couple times um at that point the season's over you can't even hunt him Uh, what did you do or what was your thought process um, about trying to locate him maybe locate a core area and what kind of plan you were going to put together for the next season
1: well i knew that he wanted to be in my section anyway, yeah, for the most part, at least after the rut. Now, I didn't know if he wanted to be there during the rut or before, and so my main plan was to just try to get some corn, some protein, and a mineral work mm-hmm. out and see if I couldn't get him early in the summer. I also had a feeder about 200 yards behind the house just because I wanted to be able to watch some of the deer from the house and stuff. And I never had a picture of a mature deer at all. So I decided if I was going to have one, I better move it farther away. And so that was the main thing I did is I moved that just to see if I could start getting something back farther in the section where he would feel safer to come out and it really didn't take long for him to show up. And then I realized, okay, he's still living here. So now i make a plan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, what did you do? Did you feel like you needed more feeders to keep him on, on your property? Did you think you you needed, uh, that wheat food plot? Like, um, did you, I mean, he's in the area, you have does in the area. Um, and and then, uh, and then kind of add in, you, you knew he was alive in, uh, in the summertime. Right. So, as far as early season is concerned, I mean, did you think you may have had a chance at him early season?
1: yeah the way he was coming to the feeder early season, I thought I might be able to get him first thing October first. Yeah, and and as soon as he shed, I don't know, it was sometime in September, he just completely disappeared, and I was distraught. I had no idea what happened to him. I started knocking on doors all around in the sections close by and putting up cameras all over anywhere I had permission on. And I wasn't getting a picture of him anywhere. And I had no idea where the heck he was. And he just quit coming to the feeder. And I think part of what I might have done is before when I was putting protein out, it wouldn't go through my spinner. And so I was pouring corn and protein on the ground. And then once you know, he was hard horned. He didn't need the protein really anymore. And so I quit putting stuff on the ground and started feeding out of the spinner. And I think that's probably what turned him away because as soon as I started dumping it on the ground again is when I finally got pictures of him again.
0: Okay. So he, does that feeder go off automatically, uh, throughout a day and make a, make a ton of noise?
1: Yep, usually in the morning and at night on that
0: one. Okay, so was the feeder still there when you started putting it on the ground? Yep. Okay, so... the
1: feeder feeder was there the whole time, and so was the feeder pin, because you pretty well have to have feeder pins around everything, because there's just cows everywhere.
0: Yeah. But
1: he was used to coming through it and eating in it, and that's what I didn't understand, but... I just thought maybe he was moving off to, you know, they talk about the transition later, you know, to their winter range. And I thought that that was just probably what he had done. And maybe he was going to come back after rifle season again, (laughs) but I didn't know until I spotted him on the week. Yeah. He was still around.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. Um, That, you know, uh, so when you dumped it on the ground, it must've been in a bigger pile. Uh, as far as a feeder kind of spreads it more thin on the ground?
1: Yep, and I did put a little bit of a a attractant on top of it too, a granular attractant, and I don't know if, well, that was the other deal. I saw him three different times within like 300 yards of the feeder right at dark on the wheat, and that's when I realized when I finally saw him I realized he was still here and he hadn't left or got hit by a car or something. Yeah. And so then I was like, well, heck, I got to do something different to get him to come down here and even give me a chance. Because right now, I mean, where he was at, it was pretty well, I mean, yeah. I, I, I was willing to do a very risky set or two if the weather was right and the wind was right but it was going to be like sneaking up to the edge of a fence line where I'd been seeing him come out on the wheat and yeah. hoping that he came by close enough for me to shoot him. And if he didn't, then I was probably going to blow him when I left.
0: Yeah. And. Yeah. So, so it's, it seems like he was almost, I mean, was, would you say he was pretty frit, like uh jittery? Uh, was he nervous deer or was he kind of, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really know how to explain it. I mean, it sounds like he was yeah. he was very aware of, th- you know, the fact that yeah he
1: didn't get he didn't get big by being stupid. I mean, right. there's a lot of people that have feeders nearby. I mean, within a half mile to a mile, there's feeders all over, and there's really not that much bow hunting pressure right around my house. But there's a ton of gun pressure, and so I mean he he's made it through a lot of a lot of trials and tribulations, but I knew I really knew how spooky he was the night that I shot him because I actually had him at 18 yards for five minutes before I ever drew my bow back because he was just watching everything. Yeah. And all right, he was very, very aware before he stepped in the feeder.
0: Okay. So what, when, when was the last picture or, uh, when, you, you you mentioned in, in this this year he disappeared for a period of time and you yep. co- you couldn't uh, um, locate him. Uh, when was that? When did he disappear? Around that September time frame when he went hardhorn?
1: Yeah, yeah, right at the you know first or second week of September probably.
0: Okay, and then you said October he was a no show, right? Yep. Uh,
1: until the day until the day before I killed him.
0: And what day did you sh- shoot him on?
1: I uh, think
0: it was the twenty eighth of October. Oh, the twenty eighth of October. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. So almost uh, a whole month there uh he, he disappeared. Yep. Okay. All right. So yep. like with him disappearing in in uh you know I'm assuming you were checking your trail cameras a lot. You were out and about looking for him and and all this stuff. And and you were like still out there hunting. Uh, Did you write this buck off and say, well, he's gone. Someone else shot him. Or did you have this feeling like he'll be back?
1: Well, I had a feeling he'd be back, but I didn't know. (laughs) And I wouldn't say I voted him off because by far the biggest one I had on camera. So I was really, I mean, yeah, I was, hunting and there was some other deer I kind of had my eyes on but I took a couple I took one of my wife's little brothers out for youth season and stuff like that so it was getting close to muzzleloader season which I think is the first week of November and I knew it was getting to the point where he was getting in the danger zone again but when he finally (laughs) when I finally spotted him on the weed again I knew he was close by but yeah I kind of I mean, I don't want to, I didn't really do that one time,
0: honestly. Yeah. So w- but, when was the next trail camera picture or sighting of him? Or was that or was that the day that you ended up shooting him?
1: I finally had a sighting of him like a week and a half before I shot him. So right in the middle of October, I spotted him right at dark from my house on the week. Gotcha. And I drove up and got a better look at him knew he was there and then I saw him about three days later on the wheat behind there too and I kept checking my cameras to see if he was coming to the corn and he wasn't and then I put out the corn on the ground with the with the the attractant on it and I got a picture of him like the next day and then we had a huge cold front come through it was just ice everywhere and just frigid cold I thought, well, heck, if he wants to hit corn tonight, it'd be the night. and yeah. So I kind of bided my time and tried to make my wife happy by not overhunting, especially with the new kids. So okay, I, I tried to play my card. I think it made me a better hunter because I tried to play my cards better and not just go sit at different places and wait for something to come by. I more targeted things and and waited for the right opportunity to try him. Okay. But I also I mean I hadn't had pictures of him I didn't say because I didn't want really to speak him out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds to me like you were you knew the route he was running. You were just waiting for the right conditions to get into what uh what did you shoot him out of a tree stand or a ground blind?
1: Yep, tree stand. Tree stand, okay. It's actually there's a really, along my pond, there's a bunch of really big cedars that are all kind of surrounding it. And I used the pond to be my downwind side. And that way they had to go out and around the end of the pond to come into my feeder. and wouldn't bust me. Because even though there was a lot of draw, he was on the wheat almost downwind of my blind. Yeah. Every time I'd see him or my tree stand, but. He had to come out and around, which it almost got me in trouble because I pre-hung my stand early early in the season once I started getting pictures of him. And then we got really dry, and a bunch of the pond dried up in that end, <laughs> and he could walk right below my tree stand. And But I ended up, I was going to listen to one of your podcasts. I would got the idea that I could hunt that stand if I paddled my canoe from the other side across there and parked and parked it you know near my tree stand but then the water dried up and i was able to come through a neck on the end of it passing through that one draw without spooking anything too
0: okay so what kind of wind did you need for for this particular stand location
1: pretty much anything north
0: okay and he was going to be coming to the north, like he was going to be coming from the north, then I I take it?
1: Um, Actually, pretty much from the west. Well, yeah, probably. that's what I meant, it's but north I,
0: of your tree stand location. That's
1: what I expected. Yeah. Yep, yep.
0: Yep, okay. All right, so um, you started, you started, he started, uh, um, making some appearances uh you had some uh trail camera uh intel of him how far away was this stand from uh one of the feeders that you were getting trail camera pictures of him on
1: uh really close like 20 yards okay
0: yeah <laughs> cool so you uh you were using that as Uh, part of your strategy, right, that he was eventually going to come to this this feeder and and give you a shot opportunity.
1: Yeah, and ironically enough, I didn't know that from where he was going to the wheat, I expected him to be coming from the draw in the middle, but he actually was crossing past my feeder. He was actually crossing right behind my feeder and coming – down where that pond had dried up to go to that wheat field and come the and it was right behind my
0: house. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so I didn't he, even know he was living there until I shot him that night and that's where he came from.
0: And he wasn't even, he wasn't even hitting the feeder.
1: No. No, oh, well, the two nights, the, the night that I that I shot him and the night before that, he came to hit the feeder after I dumped it on the ground. But other than that, he was never hitting the feeder and he was never in front of the camera when he came by.
0: Okay. So did you have any intel of him still in the area before that? Because I have uh, these mineral licks that I put out. And during the summertime when I have a trail camera yep. over top of them, um, I, I used to think, oh, every deer is going to hit this right? Every deer is going to hit this. Well, one, one time I put a trail camera above my, uh, above my trail camera that was on the ground in hopes of catching a trespasser and a thief, a trail camera thief. Well, what I noticed yeah. was a ton of deer were going behind my tra- uh, trail camera that I never even saw. They didn't, they never hit that mineral site and so i just i wrote them off and i didn't assume I, you know I, I didn't think there was any good deer in the area until um after i shot my deer that year i went and checked the uh, trail that trail camera in the tree and uh what do you know there's deer going like they're almost like a a, a main trail it seemed like right behind that yeah. camera and that was what was
1: and i didn't because i exactly basically what you said i'd learned about uh, the night that I hunted him because I hadn't sat in that stand. And every time I came to check that camera, I never went 30 or 40 yards over behind my tree stand to see that that trail where the pond had dried up had started becoming a trail where they were walking. Yeah, And I didn't know that until I walked out there and I was watching tracks in the snow and I was like, Holy crap, they're walking right. I mean, they're touching my ladder stand, you know? Yeah two feet away and they're behind my camera. So I didn't even know that that was the case until that night that I killed him.
0: Yeah. How many deer did you see the night that you killed him?
1: Uh, just two, but I uh, no three and they're all bucks,
0: all bucks. Okay. So from the time yeah. that you saw him to the time that you ended up releasing the arrow, why don't you walk us through that, that period?
1: Okay. So I saw his buddy Buck, that was a young, really nice three year old. He came in probably an hour before dark, maybe an hour and a half, and he ate for 20 or 30 minutes there. And I just knew that, man, he's got to be around here somewhere. He's been with him every night and every one of these pictures all week long. He's got to be coming. And he never did so up well. and then left, left, left exactly the way he came, back towards the draw behind my house. And I was like, Well, you know, there was this fresh set of tracks going in the snow behind the stand. Maybe they split up and he already came by. And so I really wasn't sure he was even gonna come and then right at last light I heard footsteps again in the snow and ice and I'm really tucked up in the cedars and I I mean, I couldn't see them until they were pretty much right on top of me, and the way the little buck had come in was right below my tree stand, and then circled down around the feeder, and these steps were coming a little bit farther around the cedar trees, about ten yards to the north. I thought, oh, it's probably just the same deer, and then he came around the end, and I went, "Holy crap, that's not the same deer!" Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. So he, he came around and he circled on this side of the feeder pen, the downwind side of it towards me. And so he was standing at the close side of it at like 18 yards. And he was looking just basically right below my tree stand the whole time. And I was sitting there with my bow and my elbow resting on my knee, ready to draw as soon as he turned, because it was getting last light. I mean, it was really, really dark or it was almost too dark to shoot. And, I had like a couple minutes and when he finally sat there for three or four minutes and observed the area and decided that nothing was going to kill him, he made a mistake and turned his head and I drew back right as he took two steps forward to step into the pen and shot him quarter in the way. And I knew I smoked him pretty good, but I'd had the arrow that I had my nocturnal on, the nocturnal had broke and so i didn't know exactly where it hit yeah and we went running off and stumbling through the, and like i said i was kind of tucked up in a bunch of cedars, so i lost sight of him after about 30 yards yeah and i knew i'd hit him pretty good but he made it like 60 yards and he was piled up yeah
0: man that's the second time i've heard a story in the past couple weeks of uh uh a lighted knock not working or getting busted or shutting off uh all in the same uh, like in the in the same kind of scenario so um, yeah
1: and i had the i did made the mistake of the only other one that i had a lighted knock on was my Varma arrow, and so, I didn't want to put it on there with my cheap rod head and stuff. So, I just used the one that didn't have it. And then, of course, he showed up
0: right <laughs> <and> <laughs> Right, so. right. Um, so, you you ended up watching him fall and hit the dirt? No, no, I had oh, no, idea. I you, had
1: no you idea. You didn't? No, I just watched him running and I knew that it was decent. And so, I snuck back out and went and got my wife and my little boy. And we drove around, which he's only wasn't even a year old then yet. So he had no idea what was going on, but we pulled around there and I parked cause I didn't want to drive across where I thought the blood trail was going to go. Yeah. And I walked down by where he was and I started following the blood and it turns, it turns out he was like 10 yards away from where I parked to pick up on the other side and kind of down this low spot. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it made it like $60, but I was, I mean, I pretty confident that i would killed him but i had i knew he had turned quarter away quite a bit right as i had let it go yeah to step into the feeder and so i wasn't perfectly confident but i did see blood before i headed back to the house too so i knew he was hurt pretty bad
0: was it a pass through
1: um no it, it was it actually he had turned more than i thought even and i kind of hit him like high above the hip and it was buried low in the other side of the opposite shoulder. So it kind of got stuck in that back shoulder. But oh, was, so he was quartering was
0: all the way through him. Okay. So he was a quartering away pretty hard and you hit him, yeah. you hit him almost like through guts, through diaphragm, through lung, opposite side shoulder.
1: Yep. Pretty uh, much.
0: Yeah. I, in, to, in 2018, I did the same thing, not a pass through, but my entire arrow went into that deer and there was like a wound channel of like three feet
1: oh yeah yeah Yeah. he didn't when i opened him up man there was blood everywhere (laughs) yeah
0: yeah man that's crazy (laughs) um so when when you walk up to him you know you find him you walk up to him did you realize like you you know you obviously you you had some trail camera pictures of him but did he look bigger as you walked up on him or was was he about the same size
1: no, like when I looked at him at the pictures, I guessed him at like maybe one fifty five. and then when I saw him in person that night, I almost passed him because it was so close to dark that I stared at him for like three minutes and I kept looking and I'm like, man, you know, his G fours aren't that big? Like maybe he's not as big as I thought. Is he five? i really wanted to let him get to five do i let him go in a year I'm like no this is the biggest deer you've ever had on camera you can't do that like you need to shoot him and then i walked up on him and i was like oh my gosh he's than i thought
0: yeah
1: <laughs> and so that's awesome really glad that i didn't pass him but yeah that's yeah.
0: awesome man um so is this the biggest buck you've ever shot
1: yeah yeah, yeah. well
0: with any weapon with any weapon yeah that's crazy man (laughs) um but uh now did you you shot a mule deer this year too right yep okay
1: and i actually shot three deer this year and before that i've only ever killed five in my whole life
0: (laughs) (laughs) so 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 you you kind of committed this year to to deer hunting yeah
1: well, and when I was growing up in South Dakota, all, I mean, we pheasant hunted all the time, and so it was, I mean, I shot a deer when I was 12 years old with my bow, or 13 when I was with my bow, and I shot another one when I, with a gun when I was, like, a sophomore, freshman or sophomore in college, and other than that, I had never killed any more deer. I would just pheasant hunted all the time, and then I moved down to Oklahoma with my wife, and... We didn't have pheasants to hunt anymore. Yeah, (laughs) and everybody deer hunted, so I started getting really serious about it. I always loved shooting my bow, and we always did it a bunch.
0: Yeah,
1: but I just didn't know that much about deer hunting. And then I went to school in Kansas for two years at a junior college, and I met a bunch of buddies up there that were really serious bow hunters. And then I went to finish out school in Oklahoma, and that's where I met my wife. And so a bunch of my Kansas buddies invited me to go hunting up there a bunch, and one of my buddies is really, really knowledgeable deer hunting. And shoots giant, enormous deer every year. I mean, all the time he shoots giants and yeah. knows a lot about it. And so I started learning a lot from him, and I started learning a lot from listening to your podcasts and stuff, and just kind of tried to put it all together. And then this year. I, like I said, I had my son and so I didn't get to hunt as much. So I tried really hard to make a plan with different things where it
0: was
1: using up my time the right way. Yeah. And it kind of worked out. So, well,
0: I'll tell you this, man, that's one thing. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I have been forced to do over the years. You know, I got three kids. Um, I can't hunt as much as I used to. I got to run a business. Um, all, all these things, yeah. uh, force a guy to put more thought into his approach to hunting because, um, uh, yeah. you know, back in the day I could go out and hunt and hunt and hunt and basically just, up oh, nothing here, move, nothing here, move, or Hey, this is, you know, and just micro adjust all the time. But now the thought process behind, okay. You know, historically for me on some of the farms that I hunt, nothing is even moving no mature deer, are moving um, before the 20th or the, you know, the 20th or the 25th of October, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes you, you might catch something on trail camera, but even cold fronts in mid-October are not, for me anyway, are not getting deer up on their feet and to step out, you know, with enough shooting light. They're, yeah. they're still nocturnal at that point. So um, I've, yeah. I've definitely put a lot more planning into that uh, into that as well. Now this, you, you, you shot your second buck with a bow. How many days after that did you, you shoot that, that white tail, that next white tail? Uh, It
1: was about, about two Two Uh, weeks. It was, yeah, it was right before, um, I think it was the week before Thanksgiving and I was going to South Dakota for Thanksgiving and,
0: uh, gotcha.
1: So I uh, yeah it was right right at the beginning of the
0: rut there. Yeah, so it was a uh, and you shot a uh, a giant seven pointer. Uh, how far from how far from where you shot that uh, your big deer this year was your second deer?
1: Uh, about two miles.
0: Two miles, different property then or same property?
1: Yep, yep, different property that uh, I just have permission on that guy and I actually can't rifle hunt it. I can only bow hunt it. And gotcha. 'Cause they're rifle
0: hunt, so Yeah. And then but and then and then you <laughs> you go up to South Dakota for Thanksgiving and you like, dude, that is you shot what I dream of. Like yeah. that's all I well,
1: want. I've dreamed of him too. <laughs> Say what? I've dreamed of him too. I have i mean there's just something about a big wide muley that is really really cool and i have never had a chance a good one like that and i was really lucky <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so what was this just give us you know we're winding down the podcast here but give us a high level what was this mule deer doing when you were spotting stalking him
1: um well basically like my my brother-in-law and my sister own a, a really big ranch up there in south dakota and they guide mealy hunts that they pay a lot of money for and because of covid this year they had some guys back out and stuff so i had the opportunity to draw a bow tag and go up there and he told me that there was these two places basically that i could hunt that they hadn't killed deer on and there was a lot of really good canyons that was where i was expecting it wasn't a super big place but it's where i was expecting to shoot one i went there we drove all around glass, this and that. We were seeing mule deer everywhere. The place that I could hunt, we saw 20 white tails and one little mule deer buck. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh crap. And he told me about this wheat that he had. And when we went and looked at it, there was a bunch of, they just stripped it. And so it was really tall wheat stubble. That's what I thought he was talking about the whole time we hunted all around that there was a lot of mule deer up there i hadn't found anything i really wanted to shoot yet it was only the first night that we were there and i had my sister shot a white tail that morning first thing we cleaned it we went basically we were just trying to get a plan for the next three days of what i was going to do to try and kill one and i told dad i said let's come around on the north side of that wheat stubble and see if anything's coming up out of those river breaks onto that wheat stubble to graze on something up there. And when we came around the end, I realized that my brother-in-law actually had wheat planted (laughs) and a green wheat field was there near the, um, wheat stubble. And we just like dropped our jaws because there was like 500 mil here on that wheat field. Oh, damn. Damn. We did not know what to do. <laughs> we're like, oh my God. And so we started glassing them from the road and I am like, oh, there's a big buck. There's, there's a good buck. There's, holy crap. Look at that buck. <laughs> and I mean, there was probably 15, 20 bucks in there that I would have been happy with shooting yeah. my first meal deer ever. In. And then there was about six or seven of them that were like studs, studs, and I actually remember seeing this buck I shot, I said, man, there's one that's really, really wide, and he's got pretty good forks, and so I was like, well, heck, you know, this is just a wide-open wheat field. What am I going to do? And there was a drainage that kind of went through the middle, but the grass was only like knee-high for pretty much most of it, and so Dad just dropped me off on the downwind side of that wheat field, and I put have the ultimate predator decoy that straps to the front of my bow and you kind of shoot through the middle of it and i went marching off through there just to see if i could get down in the middle of them and maybe they were rutting enough that they weren't really going to pay any attention to me and i could just kind of walk in close enough to get one to bump a doe past me or something and when I first walked in there about 200 meals were just up and blew off and I was like, Oh no, (laughs) this is not going to (laughs) work. And so after that happened, I just kind of snuck down to that drainage and I actually had another farmer that I'm good friends with that came up and he thought that I was poaching on my brother-in-law's land (laughs) and he was headed to go pick up a one of their places. And he drove up to me and, I was like, hey, what are you doing? (laughs) He goes, oh, crap, I didn't know it was you. I'm sorry. And he took off. And so, like, I'm sitting out in the middle of the wheat field, and there's deer, like, 200 yards away, and they really didn't pay any attention to him. And I just, man, I started doe-bleating and grunting and trying to see if I could get something's attention. And they really weren't paying me any attention at all. And they were just bumping does around at 100 to 150 yards. I mean, there was deer all around. But. Everything pretty much downwind of me had already blown off. And so I took the horns off of the decoy and I just went straight to using my Primo's can and dough bleeding. And finally, these two little bucks just started coming my way. And I'm like, huh, I kind of got their attention. Well, they were kind of the decoys that helped me because then the spook buck starts coming right behind them. Like, Hey, you're not going to go talk to that doe. And so they started coming on and they started getting closer and closer. And heck, they got to like 70 yards. I'm like, okay, you know, I've been practicing at 60. I will swing one at a mule deer at yeah. 70. <laughs> Cause this may be my only chance. <laughs> and I mean, if, uh, maybe it's probably its mule deer. I mean, these really really nice deer. And he ended up coming around, and I kept ranging him. And, I mean, it was just so hard to judge distance out in the middle of that wheat field. And I got him at, like, 55. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if he stops broadside, I'm letting it rip. And finally, he comes around, and it's like I keep ranging 34 yards. And I was like, what the heck? There's no way he's that close. And I kept ranging, but he was facing straight at me, and I was about – I didn't want to try the straight on shot cause I just wasn't sure about my range. I thought I might've been hitting some grass in front of him cause he had gotten down in the drainage with me and so did the two little bucks and they were basically straight downwind of me, but yeah, was barely blowing. And I finally, he must've got just a little whiff of me finally. And he busted and cause I was hoping he was just going to walk away and then I'd shoot him there, but he busted and he ran to 70 and I got a range on him again. And then, he got to about seventy-seven, and I just decided it was too far, and so I was really excited because I knew I had a chance of getting one now. So, well, maybe this will work, but I also was disappointed because I missed a friend from a good one. Yeah, and so I basically—I don't know—they all kind of moved off a little bit, and um my dad was on the road on the other side, about a half mile away from me trying to watch with a spot and scope and video camera. And I don't know. I just started doe bleeding again and pretty soon here comes another group of deer. And they came around and pretty much did the exact same thing. This doe was leading this big buck and she came right around and I was ranging her at like 30 yards and I started ranging him, and it was saying 34 yards again. And then I started second guessing myself because I thought, well, maybe my rangefinder's picking up some grass or something in front of him, and like surely he's not that close because that's right what the other one was. And he turned broad and bumped that doe and turned broadside, and I set my pin at 38 and let it drew back, and he just kind of looked at me, and I let it rip and. He didn't jump the string and hardly at all, and I hit him a little bit high and a little bit to the left of where I really wanted it. And I knew, I was like, okay, you know, that's decent. He's probably going to die. But I really wish it was better. And then all of a sudden I just looked through, I could just see blood just pouring out of his sides and he's just streaking off across the wheat field. And I was like, oh, heck yeah, I got him. <laughs> and He made it like, 80 yards and just tipped over straight in the middle of the wheat. and it was one of the coolest things i've ever done
0: (laughs) that is nuts but i I don't know now i'm jealous yeah now i gotta go look for some wheat fields uh in uh south dakota to hunt (laughs) hey
1: i'm telling you one of those decoys and there's a the ones in kansas i think the brand is heads up yeah and they kind of offset to the side of your bow, and then the, the ultimate predator ones you shoot to the middle. But I think you are one of those, man. Those, I watched a bunch of videos trying to figure out how the best way to use them was and stuff. And I mean, guys are shooting, especially during the ride. guys are shooting mealies all the time with those things. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And I think the key was taking the horns off and just acting like I was just a little doe out there. I guess. And yeah. It just worked. I couldn't believe it. And it was the first night and. I had a chance at two giants, and
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I made it happen finally. But
0: how yeah, big? I would,
1: uh, how, I would definitely recommend trying one of those decoys.
0: Yeah. How big was that mule deer that you shot?
1: Uh, right at one seventy. <laughs> yeah, not quite as big as I made him look in the pictures, but <laughs>
0: hey man, that's bigger than. Uh... Uh, I saw one deer that size, maybe two deer that size, but they were all on private and I I didn't have any access to it. But, uh, yeah, dude, I'm telling you, uh, that is a dream of mine is to get a a mule deer buck uh, of not even that caliber, but you know, a buck period. But, well, I tell you what Ty, man, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and, uh, uh, share your, your success stories here on, uh, uh, your 2020 success stories so uh uh, thank you very much for your time and uh, good luck in 2021 man
1: yeah i appreciate it 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 was a heck of a year i hope to maybe sometime in my lifetime do the same again
0: (laughs) and there you have it ladies and gentlemen another episode signed sealed and delivered from my mouth to your ears that sounded creepy but uh a really good episode Thank you, guys. I say it all the time. I mean it all the time. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. I, I, I think we do a really good job of sharing stories. Uh, and and uh, I've been told, I don't know if, you know, I hate to critique myself, but uh, I've been told that I ask the right questions to get the most information out of, uh, out of the guest. And uh, that's my goal honestly that's my goal with every episode so uh huge shout out to all the guests huge shout out to ty huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your days huge thank you to ozonix lone wolf vortex and wasp and other than that guys uh follow on instagram and facebook please be sure you are subscribed to the nine finger chronicles podcast on itunes or wherever you download your podcast and other than that keep grinding out there fellas and ladies and uh Nature's awesome. Go enjoy it. And we'll talk to you next week.